Hey, everybody. Welcome to the No Film School Podcast for the week of August 18th, 2022. I am Charles Hay, and I am a filmmaker. And I am here with Editor-in-Chief of No Film School, George Edelman. Hello. Cinematographer and Am I a Filmmaker, Todd Blankenship. Hello. This week, we are going to be talking about the thing everybody is talking about, which is income inequality, Nepo babies, and maternity leave in the film industry. And then we're going to be following it up with some tech news. Aperture has released a light with 36 pixels in one foot. If you don't understand what that means, stay. And we can talk about how crazy it is. If you do understand what that means, you're probably going to stay anyway. So we can talk about how crazy that is. This week on the No Film School Podcast. Okay, our first story is a big one. Sydney Sweeney, who's a great performer. If you haven't seen White Lotus, watch White Lotus. She's phenomenal. Everyone's phenomenal in White Lotus. White Lotus was great. She's also good in Euphoria. I've only seen the first couple episodes of that, but very good show, and she's very good in it. And, you know, she was gave a very frank interview in which she talked. And if you read the original interview and not the quotes, and this is actually something that we've gotten called on in the past, you know, a lot of times we accuse directors of trolling. I mean, I, I'm not going to say we here. A lot of times I accuse mm-hmm. directors of trolling for saying something like Marvel is not real movies. And as readers have pointed out, and thank you listeners for pointing this out, sometimes if you read the full nuanced quote in the interview, it's actually a nuanced quote. Like occasionally I see a Marvel movie that's not as exciting to me. And it's not the thing that made me get excited about movies in the beginning, but I still appreciate that others enjoy it. And that gets turned into the trolley quote. And we've fallen, vic- I've fallen victim to that too. Sydney Sweeney gave a very nuanced interview where she talks about the difficulties of navigating a career when you don't come from money and when you don't come from a Hollywood family that can guide you through the process. And she gave what I thought was a really interesting interview. You have probably seen some hot takes versions of this, which are sort of like rich person doesn't feel like they can take six months off. Well, guess what? Neither can I. Ha ha ha. But what (laughs) She was actually talking about it when she was talking about like, look, if I want to have a kid, which I might want to do, like there is no maternity leave for actors, right? There, like there is no like built into the film industry. You can get a paid six months off. Like you have to work enough to accumulate enough money to take six months off. And that's really, really difficult. And this is something that's true. Like it's always funny. There was so much, there's so many hot takes when Scarlett Johansson sued Marvel over $50 million or whatever. But I'm like, I kind of think like if famous hot people want to make arguments about everybody getting paid better, like, and that gets more attention because they're famous and hot, like, let us, (laughs) like, let us have this argument about the fact that like, actually, no, there should be some way that you are like, we need to build some sort of system. And I don't want to go back to the studio system. I'm not saying that, but like, if like, for instance, HBO, if you, if you do like three seasons of HBO shows over a three year period, you should get maternity leave from HBO. Like, why not? Why shouldn't we figure that out? Like, if she's done two <laughs> seasons of of uh, Euphoria and a season of White Lotus, like, should she not be able to get a maternity leave? And like, I think I think there are ways to talk about this with nuance that are that are worth doing. Yeah, and no, that's sort a, of what we wanted to talk about. So we covered this story on filmschool.com, the website. <laughs> Sorry. My brain's not working. We covered this story. <laughs> Maybe you've heard of it. <laughs> we covered this story. And when I read a draft of it, I said to our managing editor, Joe, shout out to Joe. It's like, this both gives me 
extreme anxiety and depresses me all at once. Because, you know, we know this is true. And I say this not even as somebody in the rat race currently, you know, like in production or something like that, who's trying to figure out the things that I don't have Sydney Sweeney's problems, right? Okay, we're in a different world, just like most people. Like she's, I think as the article, Alyssa, who wrote the article points out, she's like top 15% wealth in, in, the wor- in the world or the country or something like that. Like those are great problems to have. But my point is just, this is like, this is where we are. This is late stage capitalism. This is like not to get into the, th- the implications beyond our industry too much or for filmmakers, but it's depressing how in a lot of ways, also mentioned in the article, well, passive income is the American dream. You want to earn enough so maybe you can create a little space, you know, give to the next generation or take some time off or, you know, everybody wants that. And to varying degrees, we find ways to like escape the grind or make it work. But with the gig economy, if you're a gig person and you don't have that, like Charles is saying, that's, that's part of what we're talking about. You're gig to gig. So you have to make enough to have to build in a little break. And I think what her, what she's saying is something that we can all like, the internet is so good at like we dogpile. Sometimes it's hilarious and it's fun and it's Twitter and it's memes. Sometimes it's like overkill and, and it's like ridiculous because context here matters, but also like context of, of Sydney Sweeney's comments, but also like the context of her life, right? We can only ever talk about our experience. And just because she's in a very unique, like she, she essentially won a lottery of life of being like a successful actress, right? That's very hard to do. Very hard, even if you're very good. But there's context there, right? She's in, her life is in a context where she's surrounded by people, working with people who have won that lottery as well. But they also won another lottery, which was they were born uh, in a family that had already won that lottery once or something else. I mean, I often think of an example like Julia Louis-Dreyfus, who is one of the beneficiaries of the great, you know, sitcom residual that existed prior to this era. So for the listeners who don't know, one of the things that comes up in the article and is true about the industry now is when television worked a little differently, if you were on a show like Seinfeld or Friends or things prior to that, and you negotiated a big deal and you got residuals, well, you're going to keep making money forever millions and millions of dollars because I think Big Bang Theory is one of the last examples of where this this was still really true. Like network TV was so powerful globally and the, the performers were earning so much and the creators and the actors, performers, creators, writers, et cetera, that they could negotiate these crazy deals. And the way residuals work is they keep making money as long as these things were playing. Well, streaming's not like that, right? You're not going to get those kinds of deals anymore. So it doesn't exist. So back to Julia Louis-Dreyfus of Seinfeld fame who had who made that, who got those great deals and she's an amazing talent. But she was also like an heiress. Like she was already super duper rich, which is just yeah, crazy. She's like but one like, of the re- richest people in the world, right? Like she's yeah, like, yeah, she, she yeah. was an heiress to a fortune prior to becoming a fortune unto herself. So not that it's like, like this, this is one of the problems I've said. Charles and I did a panel I'm all over the map here, but sorry, but like there's so many relevant topics here. And this conversation has been going on on Reddit, on Facebook, around this post. So we really want to give it its due. Charles, we did a panel at an NAB many years ago where we were talking about film school versus no film school. And of course, you know, I'm 
I'm a person who attended film school, but I was on there representing the idea of not going to film school. And you were talking about film school. And we were talking about how wealth inequality is one of the big reasons this industry struggles to be diversified. Because if you have money and support, you can afford to put in the time, fail a lot, struggle. And I know this because I come from this world. I've lived in this town and I've been around the legacy talent, the the children of the successful, famous people, the people who are just already wealthy generationally. It's the world I come from. So I saw how certain people can afford to keep at it. And it's not their fault. It's there's nothing wrong with them. And it's not, it's not to say there's anything. It's just if you don't have a little money or support, it's not even connections. It's not even nepotism. Like it sometimes it just doesn't matter who your parents are. Like if you're not good at it, it doesn't matter, right? But if you have enough money to keep writing all the time and not have to make ends meet or not have to figure out how to support a child that you had or not have to pursue other dreams or want to buy a house or not have to blah, 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 blah. Then you can keep keep working hard and you can put more time into learning, developing free gigs, internships, PA jobs, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm sure everybody can understand like on the most, on the simplest level, not having resources makes it extremely challenging to do this, to do a lot of things, but definitely to do this. Yeah. And I think with Sydney Sweeney, like we're so quick to turn on those with the success that we all want to have. Like if, if, if everyone's mad at her for, for complaining or whatever, to me, the article didn't even really read like that. It was more, it was more just her kind of just stating, you know, some of her challenges. Oh, I'm just saying some other takes I've seen on, on the internet. Yeah. I feel like our, our our article was pretty neutral and the original article was pretty neutral. I'm just saying I've seen some, I've seen some takes in the take wars. But she, totally, I mean, because she, people are just reading the headline and responding to it. They're not, it definitely I mean, has which, like which that, you do. It definitely has that like headline connotation thing to it, where you just read it and immediately ha- it evokes a, a feeling that wasn't really intended in, in the way that she was talking about it. But she's she's like one of the good ones. Like she she really really worked at this and really like I mean she's a very hardworking actress. Like she's been in so many things and. Like I remember, she was in a show, uh, phenomenal, in a show that got canceled on Netflix called Everything Sucks, and and I remember even back then just being like, oh, she's gonna be, she's gonna go places. Like you could just tell. And I mean, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Like was she, she was like living. I remember in a reading, motel. Some, yeah, she was living in a motel, you know, and just like so. It's like if you if you look at her life, she's really only been like the Sydney Sweeney that we all know uh, for what probably two or three years, like if that. Um, so. It's just one of those things where like how quickly someone's life can sort of go in this direction and, and it just like it, the perspective is still there. Like one of my favorite things that I always kind of focus on when I'm talking with people, particularly people who have like a lot more pri- privilege and uh, in, in money and things than I do is that pain is relative, like to the person mm-hmm. experiencing it, like, like their problems feel just like their problems that to me feel small feel to them just as big and just as, as problematic for them as like my problems that into to my eyes feel like actual stressful things or whatever. But I just like sometimes that, that quick to jump on bandwagon of like, Hey, you're rich. So I don't care. Um, <laughs> it's, it's funny. It's funny because like, I definitely have done that and have said that, like, I, I definitely am guilty of that. And I think, I think we all are at different yes. times. But it, you know, like uh, we were just talking about uh, before we got on, 
this this I think it was Variety. Correct me if I'm wrong, but Bryce Dallas Howard was was just in an article, and she was her gripe was that Chris Pratt was making a whole lot more than her on certain aspects of Dominion. And I have to be careful because a the amount that I dislike Bryce Dallas Howard's character in those movies kind of bleeds <laughs> over into my like I have to really like work at separating the two people because she's you know she's a very talented person she she's been in a lot of great movies I remember her like as far back as like I think The Village she was in like she's she's been around for a long time good director too great yeah she did she did some Mandalorian stuff so she was she was upset that Chris Pratt was making a lot more than her and. I don't know those t- like I, she she that shouldn't be the case like there should definitely be more equality in that regard but it's like it's hard because you know her her she she's one of these people who was kind of born into I, I don't know to me the delineating factor is in my eyes it's it's warranted and talent like how much the opportunities that these people get is warranted and how much talent they have like Julia Louis Dreyfus in my opinion is the like in the top three funniest women that have ever existed. It just so happens that she's also filthy rich. And so it's just kind of one of those things where like there are people where it's like very clearly like, I don't want to like not let them do their thing that they love to do. But, you know, I, I, I can't, Maya Hawk has been good. She's talented. Uh, you know, some, can I just jump in with a couple things real quick? Yeah, One absolutely. point you made that I wanted to, I just wanted to highlight. I want to get back to Charles too. But like I, a lot of times... It's mentioned also in the article, but what people don't realize is, yes, Sydney Sweeney's rich, but the money she makes in a year is taxed pretty highly because it's a lot of money to make in a year, right? It's not old money that's tied up in various like investments that she can find ways like tax loopholes and stuff and write-offs. Like She brings home a bunch of money in a year because sh- suddenly she got a big payday. But that's there's all the reps. They're like, from managers to lawyers to agents, et cetera, et cetera, the percentages they take. Plus, there's going to be a lot of it that's that's taxed because it's coming out in a pretty big income. And I'm not trying to say that taxes, anything about taxes, but I'm just saying that, that, that that's part of it. Like we think, oh, she's got all this money, but it's like, but it all came at once kind of. And number two, we've seen so many times that it's so easy for people who are in that situation to get into serious financial trouble from actors to athletes to people who are suddenly give it, get all this money at once. And it's kind of like a deluge, it deluge that's not going to last. Like it, it's, it's like, it's not sustainable all the time. So, and the other piece of that is the first paychecks are never going to be the biggest one. So like you break in, like if you break in as a writer, your first script's not going to sell for that much. They're going to give you the lowest. The first show you get as an actor, you're not going to get that much. You're going to have to renegotiate those deals, et cetera. And s- studios, and production companies are very wise now to recognize things about longevity and tying people up and franchises and IP. And so nothing's really a one-off. So everybody's looking down the line and trying to tie things up quickly. And when you're young, you're probably getting your first thing. You're going to try and be like, yeah, I'll, I'll sign for longer, et cetera, et cetera. So there's all kinds of factors that impact her ability to project while she might have a lot of income this year or last year. It's very hard to sure what's going to happen down the line. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, I was going to say, like the long arc of your career, one thing we should remember about creatives is that a lot of times the long arc of your career, it averages out that you're making a significant chunk in your 20s that you have to figure out how to live on for the rest of your life. Like if you're a pro athlete, with the exception of like a Magic Johnson, the vast majority make most of their money in their 20s and 30s and then have to find a way to squirrel it away and invest it properly so that they can live on it forever because the skill they have that was marketable like, it's very hard to start a new career at 45 when you're just retiring. And like, so like, it's difficult. And yeah, I always like to remind everybody, like the cut that's taken, if you have an agent and a manager, that's 25% gone. Many people have a lawyer that's on percentage. That's another 5%. And then if you have a business manager, you can be looking at 35% of your paycheck gone and then take that paycheck and cut it in half. So if you hear about somebody making $10 million, <laughs> cut that down to 7.5 and then cut it in half with taxes. They're probably bringing home three and a half, three and a half million dollars is probably more than I will make in my whole life. I don't know. Maybe I'll have a big hit later on, or maybe <laughs> right. we'll have continued runaway inflation and that's what I'll make in a week. But like, it's a lot of money. Three and a half million dollars is a lot of motherfucking money. And like, so we hear that number and we think, oh my God, I can live on that forever. But it's like, sure. But you know, with, with very few exceptions, most actors careers are short lived and then they have to find a way to live on it forever. The other thing I also wanted to sort of talk about was like, there's two kinds of benefits to family relationships here. One of those kind of benefits we've touched on is just like purely financial, right? Like if you want to take six months off and your parents are wealthy, they will, and and they want grandkids and, and you're not getting maternity leave from your TV show. They'll just pay for your life for six months so that they can hang out with your grandkids. Like that's a thing, right? But then the other kind is like knowledge of how you navigate everything because there's all of this knowledge about how this world works that matters that you only really gain with first person experience and mistakes. I remember once I was on a like career panel with someone and they were telling some anecdote and they were like, when I started in this industry, I knew no one. I swear. I knew no one. I knew nobody. I had one thing. My dad played tennis with an executive at Paramount. And, and I was like, all right, well then you didn't motherfucking know anyone, but no one like, and first off, you had a father who was playing tennis with people, which is like something like it tell like, like there's something in that where it's like, okay, like I'll awfully admit my father-in-law plays tennis with one of the biggest waste management ma- uh, people on Long Island. So like, you know, I, I got some connections there as well. So mob. That's mob connections. No, not on Long Island anymore. In New Jersey. Yes. Not on Long Staten Island. Island? It, it's okay. all big. It's all big corporations now. It's all big waste management. I don't want to get folks. you in trouble. Sorry. No. <laughs> it sounds like Charles can make somebody disappear. If yeah. Oh, well, my father-in-law could. But like you, okay. like the fact that your father is playing tennis with studio executives says something about your ability to swim and navigate in that world and go to your father. And like the fact that your father, some people aren't talking to their father. Your father was willing to make an introduction for you with this executive that like you could make that like all of there's so much there. And the yeah. reason I always tell that anecdote is because to this person, that was nothing. To this person that was no, like, that was like, 
Like, because I think everybody wants to tell a rags to riches story. And so they- And as Todd said, it's kind of relative to your, like, relative pain. It's just kind of relative to his world. Like, his concept of, like, it was, to him, it felt like nothing, right? Yeah, because, you know, Michael Eisner's son is also a film director. And it's like, well, compared to Michael Eisner's son, whose father was the head of Disney when he was directing a movie at Disney, and like, maybe his movies are fine. I haven't seen them. I'm not going to judge his movies. But like, if if in your mind that exists, where you're like, oh, there are some people out there whose parents are studio are the head of Disney. I'm my parents weren't the head of Disney, so I had no connections. Is a thing you can say to yourself. So that's a thing I think about a lot, and I also think about like the guidance. There have been so many decisions that I've had to make in my filmmaking career that I have talked about with my peers and my family and like have still either like made a mistake or maybe not navigated it with the savvy that I could have. And looking back, I'm like, you know, I, it's so funny being a parent. Cause you're always like, are you, are you going to do entertainment? Cause I kind of want to steer you away entertainment. Like if you want to be a nerd, I'd be, but then, you know, she's like, you know, you see little things and you're like, Oh fuck, you're going to want to do entertainment. Aren't you? Oh man. Oh, God, I could do a terrifying. whole podcast just on that. <laughs> it's been scary. No, but I... But, I, I, but I, you know me, from the mistakes you've made, ways you could guide them, right? Yeah. No, like, this is true. This the is number true. of times and, you find out a young actor's parents were in Hollywood, and maybe they weren't famous, but they were like, mm-hmm, oh, mm-hmm. The, that person's parent was like, Dustin's Hoffman dad was a prop manager at like Warner's for like 20 years. And I was like, were there moments where Dustin Hoffman was able to get advice and counsel on how to navigate things because of a father that like prop master, not like powerful job, but a job mm. that understands how entertainment works, a job who understands this universe. Was that beneficial at some point? Probably. And I'm not judging Justin Hoffman. Dustin Hoffman's great. Watch Wag the Dog in honor of Van Hache. But like, you know, I want like that is also something. You know, I, I think also there's this like we talked about and so many of your examples we, we have there's assumptions. Like we, we kind of don't really know. Like I've known people whose parents were super powerful folks in the industry and it doesn't, didn't, or I've known people whose parents were super wealthy. Sometimes they don't want to offer help and that's their strategy. I don't know if that's always better or not. I think it depends. It's all so unique to the circumstance and it's kind of that walk a mile in their shoes. Sometimes like fame and power really fucks people up like big time. And it can ruin lives and it can ruin families. And so what sometimes seems like an advantage might be all kinds of bad in other ways. And it's so circumstantial. So I'm sort of counterpoint that just you can have access, you can have life lessons, but it always kind of comes down to like so many X factors and what you do with the, the hand you're played in life and like all these things and certain things give you huge advantages in some ways, but come with major caveats that we don't always, can't always see from the outside. And I think that's why it's, like Todd said, it's kind of dangerous to do a quick judge. And like you said at the open, Charles, about about the statements, like we really don't know. At the same time, I think just the financial reality of how challenging it is to sustain a career or build one in this field is just undeniable. Like whatever you're like, e- even if you have access to tons of money, you're going to have to use the access you have to tons of money. Uh, if, if the parents you have who, who have that generational wealth are willing to help you with it. There's so much in that that's like, it's a barrier. It's just a crazy barrier. And I think not recognizing it is, I think recognizing it is super important. 
because one of the only ways we could maybe change, like everybody talks about diversity, right? Every production company, like they want diversity of opinion, point of view, perspective, filmmaker, all that stuff. But it's one of the only ways you're going to get that is if you commit as an industry and as people in power to paying living wages, right? Like, because, or better than a living wage, so people can afford to make mistakes and grow and learn and come back. The industry is just so harsh. And what you earn at the low levels or the unpaid internships or the, it's just not enough to develop those perspectives and point of views. To survive, they will likely have to turn elsewhere. And that's part of why so often we end up with regurgitation of the same kind of point of view and perspective. Like, we get a lot of people. I mean, I don't, I don't really want to go down the road of naming names, but like, I think about someone like J.J. Abrams, whose father was a very successful television guy, right? And like, J.J. Abrams always felt to me like he's pretty talented, but where's what's his perspective? He's his perspective is of a guy who loved Spielberg. It feels like everything he ever did was kind of like my perspective is not beyond just I loved these movies. Yeah. And I he feel even, like he even made a whole movie that was basically like, I'm going to make a Spielberg movie. Like just a not good one. Super but yeah, eight. But, super but eight. yeah, right. Yeah. But I, so like, I think if we really want, and sometimes that's fine. Like it, there's a room for that and I'm, I'm nothing against him. I don't know. But I'm just saying that if we want, if we, like I put that in air quotes because it's what you'll hear around town a lot. But if we really want that, we have to make it a viable option. We have to give people that path. And part of that is by allowing for people to pay their bills while they're working. And part of it is beyond the control of the powers that be in the industry because it's what real estate costs. It's real hard to live in Los Angeles or New York. Real hard. So I don't really know that there's a solution, but I think the Here, conversation is important. Here's a thought experiment. You take Paul Thomas Anderson's filmography, nothing else changes, nothing at all, but his dad is Jeffrey Bezos. How does that affect the way you feel about his career? Well, except P.T. does come from the industry. Like, P.T.'s dad is Goulardi. Right? <laughs> I mean, like, obviously Bezos is, is a different level of wealth, but, like, it goes back to that same thing I'm talking about. It's like, the thing I always think about is, like, what is the knowledge we, like, obviously, Real estate is a huge problem that like, <laughs> motherfucker, those NIMBYs, like that's why I object to up so much is like apartments should have gone where that house is, dude. Like move out to the country. <laughs> like that's the, like, we need more housing. I've never heard that take before. Oh, that's, I love up, but that dude's a NIMBY and we needed, and if you look around, all the other apartment buildings look so great. There's that kid who's so happy in hers and there's that first floor sushi place. Like it's like the kind of dense urbanism we want. And he's like, no, I'd like to stay attached to this house. In the end, I think Up is a Yimby movie because he takes the house away in order to keep the house, and then clearly they build the apartments after he you're, leaves. You're so using I think Up is on my side. What, define NIMBY oh, and Yimby. NIMBY is not in my backyard, who are the assholes who want their neighborhood to stay exactly uh, like it was in the 50s and don't want anybody to build apartments anywhere near them. And Yimbys are like, no, we need to build a bunch of apartment buildings and trains right now so everybody can get around. And, and you know, Yimbys versus NIMBYs. Um, there's also gotcha. Yigbys. Uh, which is yes in God's backyard, who wants to turn every church parking lot into an apartment complex. And I love the Yigbees. The Yigbees yeah. are like going for it. Because yeah, every church parking lot should be housing if we believe in the mission of Christ, which is housing <laughs> the poor. <laughs> Separate from all that, like I, I 
there are people working on the housing and income inequality issue. For me, what I think about all the time is the information info inequality. Like, what information can I share that I've had to learn the hard way that no one showed me that I can? Like, I remember when we used to have interns, I would always try and take them aside and be like, okay, here's everything I wish someone had told me at the start of my first internship. Here's how invoicing works. You're not going to get paid until you invoice. So you have to invoice and you want to invoice right away. Like, here's how freelancing works. Here's how building a relationship with us works. Like, you find a way to make yourself useful to us and then we become to rely on you and then we you're doing favors for us and then we do favors for you. And then like, I, I watch people, you know, there was a guy who started as an intern for us and he was making his living doing credit card scams before we hired him. He would get home, he would get like day laborers from Home Depot and he would take them to Nordstrom and he would get them credit cards or gift cards and then he would sell those gift cards on eBay and that's how he was making his living. And he started interning with us and we taught him the film industry and he is now a successful editor and I will never give you his name, but <laughs> because I'm not going to out anybody, but like that was his racket. And I was like, no, let me show you how the film industry works. You can have an honest living here. You have talent, like do something with it. God bless that guy. The first thing I had to get him to do was to stop talking about 9-11 because, oh my God, like I'd put him in the room with a client and I'd come in five minutes later and he'd be like, but jet fuel doesn't melt steel beams. And I was like, I have so much I need <laughs> oh, to teach God. you. Um, but he oh, was very talented. But like, I, like, so, you know, Jason Reitman, I really love Up in the Air. I think it's a great movie. It's really the only Jason Reitman movie I've seen. But I remember seeing some interview where he's like, I really want everyone to understand my father had nothing to do with my career. And it's like, well, fuck you. Like, that's impossible. <laughs> and then later in the same interview, he told a story about doing a short film in high school and having his dad's editor edit it for him and sitting in the room while she edited it. And I was like, all right, fine. So maybe your dad didn't drive you to your first studio pitch. Maybe your dad didn't like, like carry cases for you, but the knowledge you gained working with a professional editor and the vision you gained that something is real has affected your career. So I always think like the thing I can yeah. do something about is information. Like I wish I just like the people he was probably hanging out with, like at his parents' parties and stuff, just like the people that he just had in his life, like yes. that he just yeah. knew stories that he had yes. heard. Like that's, that's, I mean, even just talking about how you make it last, how you make the career go past the boom stage, how you every little bit of it, being around it, knowing how the flow goes, like knowing what it takes to make a movie. Like even I, coming from a place where I did see some of it and my dad had been a TV writer at one point, like even I, when I was ready to like make a movie, I, I had no clue. Like, and nobody was able to tell me, like, what is it like to be on a movie set? I had no clue. And I think that 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 just just like you said, like knowing the editor, having his editor edit it and talk to him about editing, like how many things did you have to edit and make before you were like, why is this so bad? Like, why, like I have to figure this out. Like someone has to tell me and like maybe your high school teachers in AV don't know. Like there, there's just so many hard lessons and it takes time. And another point, like we wrote a story. I wrote a story when it was announced that Reitman, Jason, was doing the Ghostbusters reboot. And I wrote for No Film School and put it up. And I said, it's kind of ridiculous, right? Because the main reason he's doing this is because he's Ivan Reitman's son, right? And there was a, another Ghostbusters reboot that was all women that was from Paul Feig that was absolutely trashed on the internet by trolls and horrible people. And so they kind of swept it under the rug and they were like, yeah, let's like get the Reitman name back. And the vitriol in the community on this post was so bad. Some of the things that were commented on that I actually pulled it from the website, which I never do, but I did that time because I was like, this is just disgusting. 
But it, because of all the stuff with the women Ghostbusters, of course, you I mean, know, and you just sometimes you can't. I'm not going to defend internet trolls, but that was also not a very good movie. Like I never saw it. It's really sure. not. It's really pretty bad. It's like yeah, and its badness <laughs> is unrelated to its politics. It's just sort of like not a good movie. Yeah, and I never saw the new one. I heard it was bad too, but I think that there is so much. Like even after my point, really, there is like even after Up in the Air, even after whatever else, like another big opportunity kind of falls there, and you can't say that it's not because of his last name and because of who his father is. It's you just can't, and that like it's not his fault, but it is reality. And I think we have to just look at honestly and address that like that continues to be the reality of this industry and really, I mean, of this whole system. Like it's just, it's everywhere. But yeah, the information, the whole point of no film school, the whole mission statement we've stumbled into through this story is just that we're trying to help crowdsource and share knowledge that even we don't have, but then maybe somebody else can chime in with at some point that can help everyone else understand the little nuances that we've all learned various ways. That way it becomes available or free to anybody who's looking for it. So it's not just privileged. Like, oh, you lived in Hollywood long enough to know, you know, how do you handle XYZ? How do you handle the things you were talking about, Charles, the nuts and bolts that like, you know, who knows how many people get into this thinking about things like, well, 10% for this person, 15% for that person, 5% for that person, halved by the government. How many people get into it thinking that? Not very many. So sharing that knowledge is valuable. Yeah, I mean, we're... And that's we're, the goal. Yeah, we're doing what we can. And hopefully we're banding together to groups to do more. That's the mission, right? That's what we're doing. All right, let's move but, on. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, no, go ahead. <laughs> no, go ahead. Can, I was just going to move on to tech news, but I can talk about the mission as much as we can. No, I mean, I was just going to say that I think, going back to the Bryce Dallas Howard thing, I think sometimes we also need to look past all of it to try and see like, you know, it would be easy to say, Bryce Dallas Howard, she's rich. She was born to Ryan. She was born to Ron Howard. Like there's a lot of money and success there. I'm not worried. You know, I don't care necessarily that she's not making as much as her co-stars. Like who cares? Those are high class problems. But that's like you said with, Scarlett Johansson earlier, Charles, that's the kind of thing that's going to trickle down and it's important to establish norms. And if she is privileged and in a position of power, even better for her to be one of the people who stands upon it. Like they always said about FDR, president a long time ago, for those of you who don't know, he was a traitor to his class or that he was one of the only people because he came from such privilege that he could speak out or make change that impacted lower classes and working classes. And I think just like you said with Scarlett Johansson and the Disney deal, there were so many people who I came across in this industry and outside who were upset with Scarlett Johansson. Like it was some kind of greedy move. It was like, wait, it's Scarlett Johansson on one side and it's Disney on the other? And you're worried about, like, you, you think she's the one who's being greedy? Like we're talking about Disney here. Like it's the Death Star. <laughs> so that like super I don't know straight. that is a really weird team to be on. <laughs> and I think it's because like and I don't have anything against Disney but I'm just saying like it's it's like what she has isn't even on the same it's a drop in the ocean, you know? And it's a fight for anybody who's trying to make a living as an artist 
versus mega corporations that are gatekeeping and controlling all the results and everything. And as we've seen with Warner Brothers, like oftentimes just crushing projects because, hey, it's a tax write. So I, I just think like we may put like a face on it and be like, oh, that's a person. That's a person with a lot of wealth. That's a company. It's not a human entity. And I don't think about it that way. But anytime someone like Sidney Sweeney or Scarlett Johansson or Bryce Dallas Howard or it comes out and is talking about these issues, it's actually like a win for, for everyone because it's bringing attention to like the wealth inequality and how that's really just holding the industry back. It's also one of those things of like, I mean, I don't actually know the Jurassic Park movies well enough to know the balance of their content, but like I certainly watched The Crown. And when it turned out that the woman playing Queen Elizabeth, whose name I embarrassingly can't remember, but I can't remember who played Prince Philip either. But I remember that it turned out the guy who played Prince Philip made more money than the woman who played Queen Elizabeth. And it's like, what the fuck? This is about Queen the fuck Elizabeth. What are you like? Oh, my God. And like, you know, I like apparently he was more famous than she was. But it's like, come the fuck on, guys. Like. That's when that shit really starts to be like galling. And, you know, I think it is, we've talked about this before. I, you know, the story I always like to tell is like so many times I've sat in a room with a certain amount of money to spend. And when you are looking at that number you have to spend and you start talking about who might do what, you know, and all of your producing buddies know exactly who's going to take what. You just know it, right? So you're like, okay, we just booked this $100,000 commercial and all right, who are we thinking about for editing? And it's like, okay, well, we think there's going to be like, I don't know, like five grand in the edit budget. Like, is Tony going to take it? No, Tony, the tiger's not going to take it. Ooh, what about two Kim Oh, two Kim Sam would come out. You know, it's like, like you, <laughs> like, you know what everyone will take. You do. You're mentally breaking it down as you do your budget, if you're smart. And so what we have to change is that in their minds, as soon as they are mentally doing the budget. At some point early in the process, they're like, all right, well, dude, action star gets 10, love interest gets five. And like, that's just in their brain from the start. And like, that shit trickles down to everything. So if we can't get parody there, we're not going to get parody anywhere. So I, I like the fight. I haven't seen any of these Jurassic movies. I saw the first of the three and it was very bad. And I was like, I don't need to see any more because these are very They good. only get worse from there. Oh, whoa. Because the first one was really bad. It yeah, was like, well, I was yeah. watching it and I was like, they they released this like this is like a movie directed by a person that like it was like it was astounding. Yeah, I was kind of yeah. I was kind of surprised. I remember watching it, being kind of surprised by it as well. And the fact that there's more is just one of those things. Where it's like, I watched it on an airplane, and I was pissed off. First one's great though. Jurassic Park is a great movie. <laughs> oh New no, splash. the original Jurassic Park I really enjoyed. <laughs> hot, hot take from George there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's honestly yeah. one of those examples of like just re-release the original movie. It will probably make just as much money, and it is better. But you know, the kids. All right, moving on from our class war. I mean, here's the thing: it's not a class war. We just wish the film industry was something that we could that offered opportunity for everybody, and and everybody could do cool shit and make movies. Like that's what we want. What like what I want is that fantasy I had as a kid where I was like, oh, if you're good enough at shit, like you can figure out how to navigate this industry and have a life where you see your family. And like, yeah, it does happen. Chris Nolan happens. Like Chris Nolan, by all reports, spends lots of time with his family. I keep hearing through the grapevine, but also is at the top of the industry. And also, I don't, I mean, I don't think Chris Nolan's like parents were prime minister or anything. Like, you know, apparently did it based on raw goodness. 
But like, I also know a lot of people, maybe not as rawly good as Chris Nolan, because Chris Nolan's very good, but like some of the most talented people I know gave up on this industry and left. And like, that's a bummer. But let's move on to tech news, which is never a bummer, right? What's the only bummer we've ever had in tech news? Oh, the 6K Pro from Blackmagic being EF well, mount was a bummer. But I got and one I, I and I put a PL mount Premier, on it. I complain about Premiere all the time on this podcast. Well, you know so there's I a think. solution to that. Yeah, Resolve. Blackmagic Resolve. I moved everything over to Blackmagic Resolve eight years ago. I have one editor who's still high. I insist on cutting Premiere. And it's like we're on a project right now. And it's such an annoying headache that I've literally sworn it off. I'm never hiring an editor again who doesn't work in Resolve. I'm just not Dang. doing it. Yeah, I'm just like, if if in the interview process, you're like, well, I'm faster in Premiere. My answer is now, all right, we'll get faster at Resolve. <laughs> now get, get faster out the door. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> yeah, or I'll give you a week. I'll give you a week to get fast at it. But like the there interface is so... Get faster out the door is good. I like it. Yeah. Ooh, oh, I did. I missed. The, I thought you said out the gate. I missed the pun. Oh, no. Um, yeah, I, was, I was just I, saying, I saying like, I just imagine a world where Charles is like, I, I added in Premiere and Charles is like, well, get the fuck out then. <laughs> i mean for, let's be honest that's how avid houses houses are if oh, you're yeah, out there yeah. and you're like oh i want to go work on uh, on the olympics for nbc and you're like i know premiere and they're like how are you at avid and you're like no they're like okay well go get good at avid and come back like avid Talk houses to me when you want to like be that. a professional yeah exactly all right so let's talk about tech news and something that's exciting so we'll talk about tube lights aperture Aperture is very dominant. I mean, I feel like they're like tech news every other month. Uh, Probably not that much, but at least four times a year, they become our tech news. Aperture makes a lot of great lights with a ton of cool features. We don't talk about every single one that comes out here on tech news because they come out with so many. Like, I think we didn't talk about their light mat or not light mats, like their soft lights that came out in March, but they're great. I just use them on something and I love them. But I want to talk about this tube light, the new MT Pro, which just came out because I think it's, indicative of sort of where we're going with lighting. So they've moved into tubes lately. The big names in tubes have always been like Quasar and... Nanlite. Uh, well, it's going to get... Nan. I think of Nanlite and Godox as being sort of later players. The original ones were the Quasars and the Asteris. Oh, yeah. And those are like the high end, all of, you know, the, the Titans, the, the super fancies. And then Nanlite came in, and I love those Nanlites. I've got one charging in front of me right now. Nanlites came in with like affordable waterproof, built-in batteries. And now there's the Godox, which have some nice features and they have a nice remote, which I like. And then finally, Aperture came in sort of late. They have sort of an interesting design concept with the way they mount the battery, which I really like. It's like lightsaber style. I think it's kind of slick. They have two foots and four foots, but, you know, and it's RGBWW. It's all of that stuff. But what's interesting about the MT Pro is there's one more concept we should talk about first, which is the concept of the pixel. So a pixel is a unit of video. Like we talk about pixels all the time with HD video is 1920 by 1080. There's 1,920 pixels across versus 1,080 pixels up and down. That's the HD resolution. So we also use the term pixel when we talk about units of light coming out of a light. So if I have a four-foot light, but I can only control all four feet of it at once, we'd call that one pixel. Usually, like if I have a four-foot light, I might have like a a four pixel light where I can break it into one foot chunks and control each of them individually. Or I might have like an eight pixel light on a normal four foot tube. I don't remember off the top of my head, but like the, the big sky panel is only like 10 pixels or 20 pixels. And it like in, in this case is like a pixel. Are you kind of referring to like the actual chips, the LED chips themselves? Like 
the things creating the the light itself is is a pixel in this case? Well, no, because it's 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 how they are grouped to be controlled by the software. Okay. So, like, you might have a thousand individual LEDs. But then the software is going to group them together and say, this group of 10, I'm going to control as a group. That's a pixel. Okay. That's a pixel. So every time I'm looking at a unit, the number of, you'll have like the number of light emitting diodes, LEDs, the number of individual diodes on the panel. And then, but they get grouped into pixels because nobody wants to, you know, if I have a thousand little lights on like a big panel, I'm not going to want to control each individual one. I don't want like an individual red, green, and blue knob or brightness knob for each individual one. It'd be really annoying. So, and also it would be complicated to build into software, right? Your software wouldn't want to control all the pixels. So when we're talking about pixels, we're talking about the number of groups of color. And most lights, you can array it into a variety of pixel patterns. So like you might have a light that you can do in its most complicated mode, 12 pixels, but then you can also just set it to single pixel mode where you're controlling the whole light all at one. Also, with depending on how you map it, like you can assemble a bunch of lights into an individual pixel. So if I had like 16 sky panels on a wall, I could wrap them all into an individual pixel and control them all together. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's yeah, that's awesome. But so this tube though, that it, you said it's right now it's two foot, but you said they have a four foot coming. No, so uh, no, so they already have a two foot and a four foot of like more traditional lights. No, the MT Pro is only one foot. Okay, wow. But it's, 36 pixels. 36 pixels in one foot. And it's and that's a lot of what we would call pixel resolution. Um, this is a good time to announce we're moving this podcast to video soon. And when you do, you'll mm. you'll you'll see I'll, I'll hold up the little rainbow thing and you can make a rainbow play across it and it'll show 36 individual shades of color sort of animated across it. And what's crazy about it is you know, you start 36 pixels in one foot means that like if we went to a four foot tube, it'd be like over a hundred pixels. And that starts to get really hard to control with traditional DMX. DMX is like the traditional lighting control tool set we've always used. And it's a very robust tool suit set and you can make it much more complicated. But man, like if each light has more than a hundred pixels, every pixel is going to take up like five DMX channels. That means like an individual four foot light is 500 DMX channels. And that's crazy. So what what this light is interesting about for me is we're really moving to like, uh, this light makes the most sense to control, not with DMX. Like we're really moving to a light that's like the best way to control it is with a custom designed app that does weird stuff. The, way I'm more assuming, than. I'm assuming the Citus Link. Citus Link, yeah. The yeah. Citus Link from Aperture is like, they already have an app and the app is pretty robust and does good things. And you can control this light with DMX. It'll work with your DMX workflow. I'm not saying that it won't work with DMX. But I'm saying conceptually, once we start getting into stuff like 36 pixels per foot, DMX becomes a really outdated tool because DMX was designed... I mean, if you remember, DMX is like from the 80s. So DMX was designed where each light had one channel, which was like brightness. Dim it up, dim it down. So like they designed 500 channels because they were like, well, shit, 500 channels will cover 500 lights. But now if I have a light, every pixel needs like, if it's RGB WW, I need five channels per pixel. This one one foot light needs 150 channels. And that's just beyond what DMX is designed to do. Mm. So I just think so, we're like at this weird inflection point where we're like, oh guys, okay, like software is going to have to really keep up. Because what's cool as shit about this is like, 
you could map a video to this. And then if like you rigged this, like let's say I had a space person and they're flying through space. If I rigged this up to their helmet, I could make the light wrap around their face and then I could sync it with a video of what I'm comping into the green screen. So if like stars are going by, this light is going to match the light of those stars. If a planet goes by, this light's going to match the light of the planet. And it's really going to help me with shit like green screen. But See, it, that, it, that was like the first things. Because beyond that, I don't really know. I can't think of that many use. Like my brain first went to using this with like virtual production. And if they if they can find some way to let you port data from Unreal into these lights, then they're going to have some serious uh, business on their hands. Because like, other than that, I mean, let's say for just normal everyday lighting purposes, especially one foot, that kind of surprises me a little bit. Like having color on that level, the detail across one foot is kind of interesting. Because I mean, aside from that virtual production kind of way of using it, I can't really imagine beyond like you know just having like really dope like fire gags and tv gags and things like that um i, I can was, see but it like isn't a really dope fire gag enough yeah it's like, enough think about like, the work it's you've like 36 done. colors though like a fire only needs like you know what six but i mean no I, but it's the motion it's the individual it's the fact that they can all animate separate from each other gotcha that makes it more like an actual fire that's what's interesting about it. Because, like, think about all the work we used to do 15 years ago where it's like, okay, I'm going to either, like, rent the dedicated firebox from the rental house or I'm going to have, like, eight bulbs on individual dimmers and people rocking the individual dimmers to try and make that cha- chaotic firelight effect yep. that feels like it. Whereas this, I just put one of these on either side. I put them both in firelight mode. And then they're, they're going to have 36 separate individual channels that are giving you sort of a firelighty kind of vibe that you would not get. I just switched to firelight mode. We really need to be a video podcast soon so I can show this stuff off. <laughs> it's really like desperately going to happen. We should have saved this story for then, but maybe we'll retell it. It is. I, so funny I think virtual though. production, virtual production is the key here. Like if you can drive, they need to build it video driving and unity, like a unity plugin and a video player plugin for Cetus. Cause if I can play video across this, like, you know, obviously I take my 1920 by 1080 uh, background file and I render it into 36 pixels or whatever. But if I can play video across this that then syncs up with my background, motherfuck. Yeah. Then that's you're, you're doing some real shit. I, I, I think yeah. the, um, I, like they've got to come out with some sort of like a, I imagine these things have built in Bluetooth or, well, I, I know they have Bluetooth because yeah. of the, the situs, but like there's got to, I mean, if they, if they put in like Wi Fi even, you, like they, they, I, they've got to be thinking of like, okay, eventually we're working towards some sort of like Citus link box that you can, you know, run some sort of a, a video out from Unreal into it, and it's gonna, you know, track the locations and stuff. Like, imagine having a virtual scene where someone is carrying, um, just to keep it as a, a really easy example, they have a lightsaber, and you want that lightsaber in virtual space and in real space. And you could control the color of both using the Citus Link app. That would be sick. And then so when you're swinging the lightsaber around, it's lighting the virtual environment. Yeah, sorry. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm getting a little bit uh, in the weeds over here just with, with uh, thinking of all the different possibilities. They got to be thinking, like, I, that's got to be the only reason they're really hitting this, uh, that, that color resolution so hard is is they've got they've got to have some sort of plans for that which is 
obviously really smart because I, I mean, I think that's just going to be such a big thing for a long time, but it's, you yeah. know, it's like doing, it's doing what, uh, what they did on gravity just with lights you can now buy off uh, online, which yeah. by the way, I was going to ask you, what's the, what's the price on these bad boys? Two footers, 200 bucks. Ooh, man. See, that's what I love about apertures. They, they have a knack for pricing things where I'm like, yeah, okay, let's go. I'll yeah. buy that. No, totally. Yeah. It's Why like, does that? Yeah. I was going to say, I've, I know I've been quiet, but and I'm not an expert on any much of what you've discussed, but that seems so reasonable to me. Very reasonable. Like, just kind of like, I was like, yeah, no, for all that. Yeah. 200 bucks seems like, you know, fair. I think I've never heard. So many times price. with devices, it's like, no, that it sounds great, but that's a lot of money. Yeah. Well, here's you know? the flip side of that. So the, the, the two models that we always think about with pricing is we always think about a professional pricing model and a consumer pricing model. So like Airy, everything is so expensive with Airy because they have like a 500, 600% markup. The reason why they have a five or 600% markup is because it's a professional tool that is designed to deliver with almost no failure. And if there is any failure, there'll be support. If you have a problem with Alexa, you can call Airy 24 hours a day. They're going to pick up the call. They're going to answer your questions. They're going to support it. Like that's so like, most film industry tools are priced at a professional service in order to have this huge built-in infrastructure behind it that can support you through all your problems because you're using it to make money yourself. Aperture is really interesting because they price it a consumer model. A consumer model markup is about 100 to 200%, right? Like if I go buy a pair of sunglasses, usually like I'm paying $30 for sunglasses, they probably cost five to 10 to make. So it's like two, one to 200% markup. That's like a very normal consumer markup, which usually means less support infrastructure because they don't have the budget for it. They're not going to have the team. What's been interesting for me with Aperture is that, first off, I, I've had very few needs for support, but it's usually been there. I've usually been able to like find the part I need to order or find someone to talk to, which is interesting about it. But it's also interesting that they're able to survive because a lot of times the consumer, the professional business is priced with like a 500% markup because they'd go out of business if they priced it a 200% markup because their volumes are so low, right? Like, even all the Alexa cameras in the world might be 10,000 cameras at most. Like, I don't actually know. Maybe they have 20,000 Alexas. But like, you compare that to Sony, who sold hundreds of thousands of FS7s. And so their margin's lower on an FS7, but then the expected support is also going to be lower. And what's interesting to me about Aperture is it really says something about how many people are making movies now, that people can be out there making lights that are like reasonably robust. And I've been using them for a couple of years now on shoots. And like, you know, that 1200D, man, whew was using that on day exterior shoots earlier this summer. And it was given like a little something, even a day exterior. And I was like, and this is wall pluggable. It was like super fun. I got to get one of those. Like, but like, it really speaks to the volume of people making shit that they're able to price it at what I'm assuming is closer to a consumer margin and still stay in business as a company. It's an interesting place to be in. I mean, they're going to sell a lot of these little one foot empty pros because a lot of people are making content and like, you know, if I was like, what they really need to do is they need to build this into what's the thing OBS studio where everybody uses that for streaming. They need to build some sort of controller for this for OBS studio. So you can rig it up as your front light. And then you hit a button on OBS studio and it like changes the light color or like, it'll like sync to whatever background you're putting up in OBS for live comping. And like then, and, and that's the thing is that as much as I hope they build the cool thing you and I want, which is a video input. So I could run my video input either from like my live comping software, which has lately been OBS, or you from Unity, where we can get a video out and then a video into Citizen that plays live. My suspicion is we will get that. But the reason we will get that is not because you and I want it. And like, 
honestly, we should get it because you and I want it because you and I rule. We're going to get it because streamers want it right. because they're going to take their ATEM switcher or whatever, and they're going to take the video out from their ATEM switcher and run it into Cetus, and then they're going to use that to make the lighting change on their face in sync with whatever they're comping in behind them from OBS. And that's going to be the thing that sells enough of these units to make Aperture make the features that we also want. Yeah. And I think that's a really interesting place. Yeah, I mean, I think their, their thing for a while was sort of unseating HMI as the the only you know option for getting really, really bright daylight. And then I think ne- maybe maybe their next their next sort of push is is killing DMX. Like I mean maybe, but yeah, I think I think both of those ideas I hope they're doing. So the OBS tie-in with the ATEM switcher sort of uh, functionality, and then some sort of Unreal solution. So yeah, Ted, if you're listening, hit that up. All right, everybody. That's been the No Film School podcast all about changing technologies and changing payment structures. Change is the the, the thank you, George, for the laugh. I'll take it. I, I, you know, you try and tie it all up into a nice little box. You don't you're always gr- you're off. great at it, it Charles. You're great at it. Don't doubt Aww. yourself for a minute. Thanks, guys. Yeah. I tried to do it a couple times. It was ugly. <laughs> So yeah, I'm on the internet. I'm on YouTube at charleshane.com at, uh, at Charles Hain on YouTube. I'm on Twitter and Instagram as Charles Hain. I'm doing more YouTube-y stuff because YouTube seems to be a really like great place. So maybe join us there. And uh, yeah, Todd. Uh, yeah, YouTube is pretty pretty cool. I'm Todd Blankenship. <laughs> you can find me on YouTube at Am I a Filmmaker and uh, Instagram there as well. We are on fire today with the takes. YouTube is cool. The original Jurassic Park, <laughs> solid movie. Just come here for your hot takes. I'm George Edelman, editor-in-chief of No Film School. You can find out about a lot of what we talked about today more at nofilmschool.com. Be sure to like, rate, and subscribe to the podcast. And send us your questions. Like we talked about a lot today, in general, we want to hear from you because we want to learn from you because we want all of you to learn from each other. We are but a vessel through which you may all pass knowledge. Editor at nofilmschool.com is the address. And like, rate, and subscribe, like I just said. And also, follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, check us out on Instagram, and the, the new thing, YouTube, that is all the kids are into. <laughs> Thanks so much. 